Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Bringing the pursuit of perfection and attention to detail, the Enneagram Type 1, or the perfectionist, is a conscientious and ethical personality type. They're committed to a sense of right and wrong, responsibility, and integrity, but can become fixated on small imperfections and micromanagement when unhealthy. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Enneagram Type 1, taking a deep dive into what motivates them, how they respond to various situations, and how to interact with the one, whether you're coworkers, friends, or romantic. But before we get started, Will, what have you been perfect with this week? Well, speaking of the opposite of romance, I had to uh, clean up JSON data in a database as part of an entity framework migration. So we had a an object that was stored that was basically like preferences. We can't really blow it away because there's other stuff there that needs to stay, but it's just in this blob. And somebody made a property on there as a string that should have been, it was a common delimited string instead of being an array. And that was coming out and, and blowing up stuff like disparate other places. And so it's like, okay, we've got to fix this. And uh, that was a lot nastier than I thought it was going to be to try to do that entity framework, you know, because partially you're, you're dealing with, I basically end up having to do it iteratively, you know, where you have a table variable and you loop because of like the code was just getting too complex. And it's like, this thing only has to run once. And then eventually we compact the EF migrations and my shame goes away and it's fine. So that was one issue. The other issue was just, it turns out the local DBs that were running, uh, you know, the SQL Server Management Studio, or not SQL Server Management Studio, Visual Studio, like the SQL integration there. Those were on a couple versions back of SQL Server. And so some of the stuff that I wrote in SQL to get this stuff worked out that I had to then put into the Entity Framework migration, well, it can't run inside the context of any framework migration. So some of the functions and stuff weren't there. The thing about it is, is like in production, I went and I looked and there's like 12 records or 10 records that actually have to be touched. It's not thousands like we thought there might be. It's like I could have hand edited those. (laughs) I mean, like, I don't know that I would necessarily hand edit, hand edit in production, but like I could have pulled them all out and by ID just written SQL statements to just shove the right thing back in there forcefully. So that was that was mildly annoying. <laughs> In other news, my wife and I had our 16th uh, wedding anniversary. And <laughs> your marriage is now able to drive. Right. And, you know, I went and I got flowers, right? Okay, so like I'm trying to write the card for it. And apparently I have been practicing Russian cursive so much that I have lost English cursive. Like I finally just gave up <laughs> on the card. I was like, I can't write in cursive anymore. I got a really nice looking Cyrillic, but there you go. Just write it to her in uh, in Russian. Yeah, it's like the other's just gone. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, found that mildly amusing. So, how about you? Uh, today is Lindsay Sterling's birthday. Like the day we're recording, not the day this episode comes out. This is going to come out like a month after her birthday. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. 
And uh, I just learned today that there are subtypes for each of the nine Enneagram types. I was unaware of this. It's not in a lot of the literature. It's more of a new thing. But um, those subtypes are self-preservation, social, and one-to-one. A friend of mine sent me episode of the Typology podcast, which that's the podcast by Ian Cron, one of the authors of the book we're using. And uh, it was basically deep dive into the Enneagram type two. And so in there, they talked about the guest he had on has written a book. Apparently, she wrote his favorite book on the Enneagram and uh, was talking about the different types, subtypes. And that's kind of her specialty within the Enneagram is the subtypes. And so I went and took a test. I am a one-to-one type two, which is the seducer or the lover, apparently. And um, so for what that means, my friend who sent this to me, she took it. She's also a two-wing three, and she is the self-preservation subtype, which is the most like childlike subtype, taking on kind of a childish persona during stressful times and stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting to go through that and learn about those. The other thing that was really cool is I like how they were talking about the two, like, instead of calling it like the helper or the giver, they called the two the befriender. Because the the focus of the two is this desire to be liked. It's just they happen to, when that doesn't happen naturally, they fall back on this helping giving say they we fall back on this helping giving to be liked so i know we're talking about ones but that was just kind of cool i listened to that uh that today because she sent it to me the other day and uh actually sent it to me yesterday and i was going to listen to it on my way to trivia but trivia got canceled which was great because i had homework to do and i was actually able to get it done so that was nice um, so that's cool uh in amazing wonderful just great other news I'm going back to Albania next summer. Nice. Yeah. Global Ventures, the group that I went went with in July, announced their 2022 trips. And uh, they are Zambia, Honduras, and Albania. Well, they're, they're summer trips, I should say. So I've already submitted my application for the trip. I shared their post about the trips and even wrote some Albanian in my uh, thing. Uh, unfortunately, Facebook translated it. Like I went to look at my post and it was all in English. And I'm like, but I wrote Albanian. (laughs) You can see the, I could click a button to see the original post, but it just automatically translated it for me. It's finally given up on doing that to me with Russian because I keep like, no, I really want to read it in the original. Yeah, yeah. A lot of my friends from Albania, they post images that have words on it. And so I, I read those. And then another good news, I got a 10-pack of non-alcoholic beer from Wellbeing Brewery, sort of a mixed pack thing. Some of the ones that came with, uh, I've already had before. But then there's some new ones, like tonight, I'm going to be drinking this Intentional IPA, which, uh, first sip, let's see how it goes. Ooh. I have to look at what hops they have in there. That is really good. Hmm. Oh, there's the bitter. Been drinking the sweet CBD cider, so it's sort of. Yeah. Ooh, that is good. All right. So yeah, some good non-alcoholic uh, IPA here that I'm going to be drinking tonight. So 
that's uh, that's fun. Saving money is hard, especially when you have to pay for such perfection. Lucas Casades is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you not only establish a plan, but take action on that so that you can live your best life. Investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances with the help of Level Up. And there's a compounding impact of making better financial decisions, which will easily pay for itself. Uh, Speaking of investing in the services, Level Up has a really cool, unique pricing model that's going to help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. So if you are a junior developer just starting out, Lucas has a plan for you that will fit what you can afford. If you are a senior developer who is looking at, hey, I need to start really preparing for retirement, he has a plan just for you. Lucas is also a fiduciary for his clients, which means he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. So as you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you likely face and interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their careers And you can also learn a lot more at his website, levelupfinancialplanning.com. The Enneagram of Personality, or just the Enneagram, is a representation of personalities using a geometric figure, which is also called the Enneagram, but with a little e, to express nine interconnected personality types. While each type is unique, it's related to other types through the circle connecting the type to each of its wings and the lines or arrows in the center connecting the type to the ones it imitates in times of stress or growth. The Enneagram is used in business management training to better understand interpersonal dynamics in the workplace. Types 8, 9, and 1 constitute the gut triad. This triad is primarily motivated by anger. Those in the gut triad tend to filter life kind of at a gut level or by instinct. And because of that, they tend to be motivated by a desire to be independent and stay in control of their own life. Of the three, ones tend to turn that anger or that that instinct in on themselves, preferring to focus on their own issues and making themselves better or being angry at themselves for what's going on. At their best, ones are committed to a life of service and integrity. They're able to forgive themselves and others for being imperfect. They are principled but patient while they wait on the world to get better. At their worst, ones are fixated on small imperfections, whether those imperfections are their own or those of others. They become obsessed with managing minutiae and asserting control over external circumstances. And sometimes they put the wrong number and description in outlines. Or they actually just copy and don't change that. That's okay. Sometimes twos review the outline and don't notice that. So you're good. Uh, <laughs> Oops. In this episode, we'll be looking at the Enneagram type one. And as with previous episodes, we'll take a balanced approach diving into both the positive and negative traits of the perfectionist. We'll start with a discussion of the main characteristics of the one, then look at the related types through wings and arrows. Finally, we'll close out the discussion with interactions with ones at work, in friendships, and in relationships. And I realize I didn't put this before, but I am a a one. 
So this will be kind of hitting a little close to home on some of these things. This is Will. So the way it worked out, because we wanted to do the tr- do it in triads, we started off with mine, with the two at the beginning of the uh, the heart triad. And we're ending at the end of the gut triad with the one for Will. So it's kind of funny that we we landed that way, but we're able to go all the way around the Enneagram and uh, start and finish on our own types. So that's kind of cool. So the Enneagram type one is the perfectionist or the reformer. They have a devotion to improve the world, and that's the reason the one is called the perfectionist. They strive to overcome adversity, especially of the moral sort, so that the human spirit can work through them to improve the world. They're discerning, wise, realistic, and noble, and they can be morally heroic. Yeah, (laughs) can be (laughs) when they're healthier. And the thing is, the perfectionist downfall is being overly critical and perfectionistic. My mom is a one and is very much like this when she's unhealthy. I remember my childhood being like, you know, one of the things that I, I remember about the the critical and perfectionism was I would have an easier semester in like one of my hardest classes. Like I'd have an easy semester in calculus and I would get an A, whereas I'd been getting B's before. And she'd be like, see, I told you you could do it. Not like, hey, congratulations for working hard. It's like, I knew you, I told you you could do it. Now you should yeah, keep doing that every time. I'm like, yourself up by your bootstraps, right? <laughs> we, we spent half the semester playing board games. <laughs> the thing is, they can start having problems with resentment, impatience, and anger. Yeah, And usually it's all three of those kind of bundled up nice and neat. Perfectly even. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is, they come off as critical and perfectionistic to other people. But what the outsiders don't see is they are even more so toward themselves. Ones have a strong sense of purpose and they wish to be useful in the best sense of the word. They feel they have a mission in their lives and they aim to get it done. Now, this sense of mission doesn't stop the one from feeling like they need to justify their actions to themselves and others. This causes the one to spend an excessive amount of time thinking about the consequences of their actions. Yeah, I can see that. I have quite a few friends who are ones and is very interesting. Because I will have them go, all right, we're going to do it this way. And then a little bit later, come back. All right, here's why we're doing it this way. Because they've like, they're in the moment. They're like purposeful. We're going to do it this way. And then they realize, oh, I got to like make sure everybody understands what's going on. Other ones when it's not like a, they can be over explanative. Is that a word? Did I make that up? I don't know. They justify too much. Yeah. We just thought too much. That's the best way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. As members of the gut or anger triad, ones can be grounded and in touch with their instincts. However, they can easily persuade themselves that they are only proceeding on logic and objective truth. In reality, no one does that. They can end up searching for a rationale for what they feel they must do. They rationalize all sorts of things when they think what they're doing is right. Especially if it's if they're feeling that it is the moral high ground or the moral right, they can justify just about anything. Of course, when I read that in the book, I was like, yeah, that's kind of, that seems like most people, but all right. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's, that may not be just us. Uh, it's the degree. Yeah, it's it's the degree and there's a little bit of bias when you are 
the type you look at it and you go, oh, everybody thinks like this. And well, I'm, I'm thinking about how they act. Yeah. Well, see, what, what you're seeing is you're seeing the you're kind of almost filtering it through your lens because I do this as a two as well. Like I expect people to to think the way I do and I see them behaving in a certain way. I see like the and then it's the motives behind it, I guess, like what they do and the why are a bit different. While trying to remain true to their purpose, ones will try to avoid being affected by their instinctual drives. And this can result in a personality type that has problems with repression, resistance, and aggression. Uh, They're often seen as having excellent self-control, but they don't feel like they do. That's the funny thing. It's like the better they are at exerting self-control, the more they realize how much they don't have self-control and how many areas they need. As you learn more, you've learn how much you don't know. And so they take that not as, oh, hey, look how much I've already got and there's a lot more to go. They look at it as I have no self-control and don't ever look back at how much control they do have. If they're not careful, ones can end up feeling as if they have to keep a lid on their emotions to avoid hurting the people around them. I can confirm that. I feel that way about 90% of the time. And it's better than it used to be. But that's definitely a thing. It's it's not, you know, a lack of emotion. It's like, no, I, I realize I have to control that. Yeah, I can see that. I had um, a friend of mine and I were talking and she was telling me about being a one and just telling me about her own way of processing things. And she was like, I didn't really know how to handle the situation. So... I probably came off as rude because I was just being very direct and matter of matter of fact. Now, as children, a lot of ones, actually most of them, try to be perfect. They do this by knowing the rules and following them to the letter. You'll often see this when talking to a younger one as they'll spend more time comparing themselves to others than talking about themselves. A great example of this, like the quintessential one, is Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. Yep. <laughs> uh, that that reminds me of quite a few people I grew up with and myself at you know at a younger age. As kids, uh, ones are really hard on themselves, and they often shy away from sports and other group activities where they might not excel because perfection is their goal, and they can't get there. Yeah. If you know you're not going to be able to be perfect at it, then why try? I, I've talked to a few ones who were were like that in different areas of their lives. So, As children, ones do tend to ask a lot of questions about the right way to do things and can often take responsibility for things that aren't their fault. It's funny because I'm quite sure that uh, my oldest niece is a one just based on being around her. And this fits her to a T. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a kid that bullied me quite a bit um, in eighth grade. And it was it was constant, right? And I was trying to get away from him. And there was one day he twisted my arms up behind my back. And I leaned forward real quick. And when I did that, of course, he comes forward to see what I'm doing. And then I stood back up real quick and I basically headbutted him with the back of my head right in the face and, you know, blacked the whole left side of his face. I mean, just wrecked him. And, you know, so we go to the principal's office and, you know, one of my teachers is there 
going, look, this, this guy keeps messing with him. And he finally, you know, got hit because he was hurting him. And the principal is like, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to give you a paddling because this was the nineties and they could still do that. And I was like, you know, part of this was my fault too. And the principal just looked at me and was like, well, line up then. And apparently the principal still tells that story. <laughs> so it's like, what? Yeah. But I mean, I did feel like it was my fault and it wasn't my fault. You know, the guy was bigger than me. He wouldn't leave me alone. I couldn't get away. There's a teacher in the yeah. room that didn't do anything. I, I see that. I see that. Like that, that is a very, very one thing to do. Now, one thing about ones, I said that way on purpose, is that they do not multitask very well at all, especially as children. However, they often don't get upset when told to clean the rooms because for a lot of them, organizing can be very soothing. Yeah. And this is something that happens in one or two areas of life, probably not all of them. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's very different. Like, I wasn't particularly upset when I was told to take rocks out of the yard and clean up the yard, but I didn't, I didn't overly love being told to clean up my room. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't like being told to clean up my room either. And that's why you have your own house. <laughs> <laughs> that's the solve right there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> being perfectionists, ones are terrified of making mistakes. If they're invested in something, it's going to have to be perfect or you're never going to see it. Yeah. I got published in high school and I edited those articles. Like I think about the amount of time that I spent on that. And I probably spent more time editing those four articles than I spent editing both of my books together. I mean, just unbelievable amount of time. And I remember we were staying at a friend's house and the friend's, father is family friend their father came over and he had been my grandfather's business partner and he, he saw me you know, working on that and getting frustrated he's like well, what are you doing and I said, i'm writing these articles he goes well why are you frustrated because it's not right i keep making mistakes and he goes well they have an editor for that you're basically knocking the guy out of a job if you send it in perfect you know <laughs> like why are you stressing about it you know like it's their job to figure out if it's good enough or not not yours <laughs> and you know like sat me down and had that conversation but that is totally the way it was. And as children, ones really need to know that making mistakes is a part of development, that it's expected, and that it's perfectly normal. It's also best to correct them privately because they can be real thin-skinned, more so than they might appear. So like if a kid's a one and they've been in all kinds of playground fights and stuff, and you're like, okay, this kid's pretty tough, and you just criticize them in front of the class, they just break down. That's pretty common. It's interesting where their thin their skin is thicker and thinner because when it comes to like insults and interpersonal stuff, doesn't really bother them. Whereas like humiliation or someone in the heart triad, you you know, you talk about relationship or being liked, oh, that's gonna gonna rip them to pieces. One's like whatever. But you talk about, oh hey, you know, you didn't get this right, or you publicly correct them, and that's going to tear them up. It is very interesting. So let's jump into the fears and desires for the one. The basic desire for the reformer is to be right and not just like be right as in have the right answer, but more like morally correct, morally right. Want to be consistent with their ideals and live in such a way that 
they're beyond criticism because this is a way to kind of dodge the thing that they fear. They have high expectations of themselves and of others. And oftentimes they'll sacrifice their own desires to live up to overly arbitrary standards for themselves. They'll forgo what they want to do in order to do what they are supposed to do. However, they've defined that. That's the thing. It's relative for the one. So it's not so much an objective moral standard. Like they perceive it as objective, but it is what they have determined is the ideal or the correct thing, the right thing, or whatever they, the authority they have chosen to follow what they say is the right thing. And the basic fear of ones is a fear of making a mistake or becoming corrupted. That's what the book says. I would say that the way that I would express that is probably you fear being part of the problem because you see the world is broken and you don't want to make it worse. And this often leads to resentment because you end up watching other people ignore the rules that you have in your head and they don't pay attention to those rules and you still feel like you have to follow them. You see people who bend and break the rules and you're the the Agent Smith. That's what um, stinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To Neo breaking all the rules. Right. Yeah. These tendencies can can also lead to some issues with boundaries because the one can become a bit puritanical towards the rest of the world. Think of the church lady from the Saturday Night Live skits. And bear in mind that this mindset, you're thinking about it from like the church lady from the, the skits, but imagine if that church lady coded yeah, and had a, an opinion on design patterns and now look around your office and you found all the ones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So examples are healthy, average, and unhealthy. So we'll talk about kind of like what the ones look like at different stages of health. A healthy one is wise and discerning. They accept reality for what it is and become realistic, taking the best action they can in the moment rather than sticking perfectly to what they consider ideal. They still maintain their integrity, but they don't allow the perfect to become the enemy of the good. They're not overzealous about it. They're not like, all right, they know what should be done, but they also understand, hey, in going towards this, I'm thinking of church, but like, you know, we have our Saturday morning prayer. We have people get up and give talks for 10 minutes. The healthy one realizes, hey, I don't have to be exactly at the 10 minute mark when I end. I can end a little early or a little later than that. And it's okay. Yeah, and nobody will notice is the other <laughs> important thing. I can go a little bit over the time to get the message across. Ones that are healthy are also conscientious with strong personal convictions. They do try to be moderate, rational, disciplined, and mature, but there's stuff they won't budge on. That is very true. All the healthy ones I know are exactly like that. These are things that are opinions, but these are things that are. No, these are not negotiables. Yeah, it's an iron hand in a velvet glove. Yeah, exactly. An average one, however, tends to be dissatisfied with reality. They're very idealistic and judgmental of others. They can easily become workaholics. Very, very easily. 
Yeah. And along with this comes being opinionated, scolding, moralizing, sometimes just straight up abrasive and indignantly angry. You'll commonly see them in comment sections on websites, as well as advocating for various moral crusades and causes. So if they're on the news doing that, there's a pretty good chance. Or fussing at their children who worked very hard to get that B, saying, you worked a little bit harder, you could have gotten an A. Not that I had a one mother who was like that at all. That's the way both my parents were. It's <laughs> necessarily a, a one thing, but... An unhealthy one can be extremely self-righteous, dogmatic, intolerant, and inflexible. All the time, rationalizing their own actions that may even at times go against what they claim to believe, but they're able to rationalize it for the greater good. They'll focus too much on the imperfections of others while ignoring their own. And at the worst, ones will condemn others and become cruel and punitive. And I've been through a few phases in my life that were kind of like that, you know, where I was not in a healthy place. And it's like, yeah, you were pretty rough on the people around you. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Yes, you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Says the two. <laughs> yep. uh, uh, no. Um, people forgive you and get used, like they, I say get used to it, but they, they forgive you and understand that, hey, you're going through stuff. It's just that you don't because you got to be perfect. And so you still remember it. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, the defining deadly sin of the one is anger or probably more properly, you know, really strong resentment because it's not like explosive anger. It's just like a constant burn. And it's more of an internal like anger at themselves than at other people. And it the way that comes out can be kind of intolerant and self-righteous towards other people when they're unhealthy. But yeah, it's more of an internal focus on themselves. Uh, anger. Ones often have an innate belief that being strict with themselves will justify them in their own eyes and in the eyes of others. They tend to disconnect from and distrust life, seeking instead a greater good. And if that doesn't sound familiar from a 20th century history book, go read one. <laughs> this anger will manifest as a simmering resentment of how things are, as the one doesn't grasp that others are not motivated by the desire for perfection. Their inner critical voice can become indistinguishable from their own personality, and they don't just apply it to themselves. That's when it really gets annoying for the people around the ones is when they start externalizing that inner critic. Yeah. Or going, well, your room's messy. And, you know, like it motivates me that my room's clean because I feel like that makes me work better. And, I, you know, obviously you don't care about that because your room's messy. <laughs> We've never had that conversation before. <laughs> we'll, we'll can see my room right now. It's not super, super messy, but it's a little cluttered. But that's just the way I am. I would love to have a cleaner office, but I also just don't see like that's not a priority to me. That's funny because for my mom, it is. Just looking at the difference between between people, like I'm more about like going out and being with friends and helping people and stuff like that. My mom is very much about cleanliness is next to godliness and have to have a clean house. Before you can do anything else, you have to have a clean house. Yep. And she 
obviously is a one and I am not very much not a one. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm that way to a limit. Like I, I want my workspace to be clean and I want stuff that's kind of in my sight on the regular to be clean. So I don't know if you remember, like my old house had, you know, they had built on to the, they basically took the back porch and made it into a sunroom and coming out right by where the TV ended up was a garden hose outlet sticking out into that room. And so when we bought the house, I had a guy come over to do work and he's like, okay, what's the first thing you want me to work on? And I said that right there. And he goes, that's such a small thing. And I'm like, yeah, but I see that when I walk in the door and then I'm like looking for everything else that's wrong. So, which probably didn't make me seem like too good of a client, but hopefully I've fixed that. (laughs) Hey, you know, it, it was work. And you knew yeah. exactly what you wanted. Like, depending on the uh, the Enneagram type of your repair guy, I guess it... It was actually kind of a one, too. So it was probably pretty reasonable. It was just kind of surprised. Like, hey, you know, you've got some other problems that maybe are a bigger issue. It's like, nope. <laughs> no. Makes sense. Makes sense. You pick the next one, but uh, this one goes first. And... The thing about it is, is as a one, you don't want to be criticized for something you could have prevented by being more disciplined or caring more or focusing more or working harder, you know, those kind of things. And so you end up overdoing things to avoid criticism. And this also means that you avoid a lot of meaningful experiences and life goals because you have a fear of those things not being perfect or because you're trying to be perfect somewhere else and then you don't have the time to handle something, you know, that you should be able to handle. And then you end up resenting all the people who make different sets of choices. Yep. I have seen you not do things that you would have been successful at, but you wouldn't have been perfect at. Yep. Because you're like, I can't be perfect at this, or I don't have time to be perfect at it. And that that early on in the the podcast was one of the things we talked about a lot in our business meetings too, was like you were working on getting over that and going, all right, because you said several times, all right, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I'm like, I know that. And it took me a little bit, but I realized you weren't saying yeah, that. I wasn't talking to you. You were talking to yourself. <laughs> yeah, like, get over yourself, Beach. Sometimes, just because I'm verbalizing just to you doesn't mean I'm talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a two, man. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was like that. And I'll tell you, you know, like learning a foreign language, like that is really hard because you suck at it for a very, very long time. Oh, yeah. And you just have to, you know, slam into the wall until eventually the wall falls down and then you go find the next wall. You really, really want to be terrible at something for a long time. Play guitar. Learn to play an instrument. Doesn't have to be guitar. Any instrument. Just learn to play an instrument. Oh, yeah. You're going to be horrible. And, like, you'll get better. But, oh, yeah. It's... uh, I don't have jealousy for those who have like the natural talent, but it's cool for them. That's what I'm going to say. So sitting atop a boiling kettle of resentment, ones will often feel like they can't express negative or imperfect emotions, either because they'll be judged for them or because the resentment has built up to the point where it's dangerous to release it. I mean, I had several relationships like that, you know, before I really kind of nailed this down where it's like, hey, you know, like if I'm getting irritated, maybe I ought to say something before I'm just furious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, I think that's something everybody has to learn, but it's definitely 
you feel like you're less of a person if you go, hey, I didn't appreciate that when you did this. Yeah, that makes sense. It's That's a big thing for the ones and the nines. The whole triad has issues expressing negative emotions. The eights tend to do it in an overkill angry fashion, whereas the ones and the nines tend to be like, nines are, I don't want to rock the boat, and ones are, I don't want to look bad. So they they hold it in until they boil over. Now, because of the resentment and the need to bottle up emotions, ones tend to deal with some severe depression, nervous breakdowns, and they have a lot of suicidality. Not as much as the fours, but they still do. There is also a strong correlation to depressive and obsessive-compulsive personality disorders. Yeah. Which makes sense. So let's talk about the wings and arrows. Ones with a nine wing are idealists. Uh, So they tend to be more introverted, detached, and relaxed. They are also more idealistic and objective, spending more time on thinking before they start talking. Yeah, I know some one-wing nines, and they are very much that sort of careful with their words. Yeah, very, very deliberate in what they say. Uh, Just thinking about... I don't know, about a month ago, I was out with some friends and one of them is a one wing nine. We're sitting having coffee and just chatting and she gave me some really, really good advice. What's funny is I was telling her husband the other day, I'm like, man, I followed that advice the last few weeks and it has made a huge impact on my life. But we're talking and she didn't just go like, oh, you should try doing this. Like she was like, hmm. You know, and she thought about it and she was like very cautious and very deliberate in the way that she she gave the advice. At first, I thought she was trying not to hurt my feelings. But as I studied the ones a bit more, I'm like, that's very much her. Now, idealists also tend to procrastinate more and mull over their decisions for longer before acting on them. And I have seen this as well with my mom, who is a nine wing one or one wing nine. Wow. That was last month. Who's a one wing nine. Now this is an interesting thing. I don't think you have this in here, but uh, idealists or the one wing nines also have a strong tendency for buyer's remorse where they will, they will go out and they'll shop and shop and shop. I remember the Oldsmobile my mom bought and it was like this, boat of a car it's like an 88 yeah it was oh i hated that thing <laughs> but i loved it because i got the the grand am when she got that thing but ugh. anyway we went out shopping for that car for her that was the first car she test drove and then we went to six other dealerships over the course of two days and ended up coming back and buying the first car she drove because she did not wants to buy like that was she was like this is what i want but i don't want to buy it because she didn't want to buy the first thing she saw didn't want to be wrong yeah and even after that she she would think well what if i'd gotten this instead and you know you you just have to kind of get over that idealists do well in building and maintaining relationships due to being more laid back than the typical one and being a one they do still have high expectations for the people in their lives, but this tendency to be more relaxed makes them less resentful. Yeah. They're, they're more able to kind of deal with it. 
Now, ones with a two wing are the advocates, and this is Will. Advocates are more people-focused, generous, and extroverted, which is kind of weird because he is an introvert, but he is more on the extroverted side. Yeah, I wonder if they're using the word extroverted to mean... Outgoing? Outgoing, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people... mix. Well, I don't think these guys would mix that up unless you got that from the website. Yeah, I was all over the web on this thing. Yeah. The thing is, this gives them a sense of other people's problems and what they can do to help. Now, the thing about being more extroverted doesn't mean that you're not going to have introverted one-wing twos. And the thing about one-wing nines being introverted doesn't mean you're not going to have extroverted one-wing nines. Yeah, and and it's in comparison to the, the ones that are kind of on the center column there. Yeah. Um, not in comparison to, say, eights, who seem to be pretty good at <laughs> getting yeah. their feelings out there. When healthy, this empathy that the two brings to the one helps them with their interpersonal relationships because twos are all about relationships. We are the befriender. By the way, I love that term. I'm going to use that from now on. But when they aren't healthy, it tends to make them more critical and controlling of other people. Unhealthy twos can be a bit manipulative. And so that comes into the one here in the advocate. And advocates are effective problem solvers and are generous with things like church, education, government, community, family, those kind of things. Probably not all of those because mm-hmm. um, some of those things are sometimes at cross purposes a little bit, but it's fairly reasonable. And unlike the adjacent twos, these ones don't feel an insatiable need to try and meet other people's needs, even if they are very much aware of those needs. Mm-hmm. I have had... Uh... Someone tell me once that they're like, yeah, I can sense what other people are, like their motivations. And she's like, I'm very observant. I can notice other people's motivations and like why they're doing things, which is interesting because if you ever have a one wing two as a counselor or a therapist, it takes a different tone. It's like, I haven't known any who were therapists, but I've known some who were really good at giving advice to their friends. Now, the direction of integration or health for the one moves toward the seven or the enthusiast, which is really fun and can be quite confusing if you are not aware of the Enneagram and you know someone who's like been an unhealthy one and they're moving towards health because all of a sudden they're doing things like a seven and you're going, wait, this isn't like you at all. Yeah. And especially when it's like just their jam and you've never seen it before. Yeah. Yeah. They tend to become more spontaneous, more joyful. They will do spur of the moment trips. They'll just randomly go out and buy stuff. I know when, not to get into too much family drama here, but what after my mom got divorced, she had about six months there where she was kind of processing and stuff, but then she started getting healthy, healthier than I'd ever seen her. And that seven started coming out. And it was weird. She'd call me up and like want to go do stuff and hang out. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Who do you? <laughs> yeah. There was a point uh, where things are getting better. You know, like I'd, I'd been kind of in, in a rough patch when we were recording mm-hmm. you know, for a while there. And I remember going, hey, let's go get some hot wings. And so like we, we sit down and we get, you know, the, like they they bring our hot wings out. It's like, well, what do you want to talk to me about? I'm like, I just wanted hot wings. And it just completely threw you because that's just not where I was at the time. 
And, you know, doing that spontaneously versus like, okay, you know, three weeks ago, I scheduled this. We're going to go get hot wings. Yeah. Well, see, back back then when um, that was what we did, like if I needed, if I was going through something, I needed to talk to you about it. I'd be like, let's go grab some hot wings. If you were going through stuff and you're just like, all right, I need to get out of the house and just talk about something with you. Let's go get some hot wings. That was our thing. We haven't gotten hot wings in a long time, dude. I'm going to have some for dinner tonight, probably. Yeah, but I meant us together, like yeah. B-dubs or something better. Oh, yeah, these because, are Costco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, B-dubs uh, is kind of not so good anymore. Yeah, well, you know. I, I say we haven't. It was, what, about three months ago when you were down here? Yeah. You got hot wings? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. As ones become more healthy, they become more self-accepting, open to new experiences, as sort of the voice of their inner critic becomes quieter. They're less concerned about perfection and are able to enjoy life more. And when ones become more healthy, their focus shifts from being about what's wrong with the world towards what's right about it. So like you, you start looking at the imperfections and go, that's the way things are supposed to be because we get stuff from that. Yeah. No. Interestingly, this often happens to ones when they go on vacation because they're not as responsible for fixing things. I don't have a frame of reference for that one because it's been a while since I've been on a vacation. Such a but, typical one thing to say. You know, I'm spending my vacation time going on mission trips, which is such a typical two thing to do. So I can't yeah. really complain too much. Because mine's like working on my own stuff. So in the other direction or the direction of disintegration or stress, the ones become more like a four or individualist. So their inner critic takes over and their need to control and perfect their world gets to be in charge. They'll become more resentful of others having fun and they'll also start to get more upset when they're criticized and slip into depression. I've seen this with several different people in my life who are ones where they're going through some stressful stuff and they do like, you say even like the slightest thing, like, you know, they could be taken negatively. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not even like you actually meant it that way. Yeah. Or like <clears throat> you, you just be like, Hey, your shoelace is untied and it's, mm, yeah. Don't you think I know how to tie my shoes? <laughs> <laughs> what else do you not think I can do? Go to the bathroom by myself. Do I need a helmet? You know, like <laughs> that's just over the top. Um, <laughs> And the other thing, and this is something I've noticed when I'm kind of down in the dumps, is you start feeling the weight of all the obligations that you've got and you want to get out from under them. So you just want to walk away from everything and you become more uncertain of your own abilities and feeling unlovable. So it's like, why am I still here in this situation? Just like get out of it. Now, under a lot of stress, they'll become extremely angry and critical of the people around them. And yeah, I've seen that too. <laughs> a couple of ones is. in my life yes I know a lot of ones so alright guys closing out the ones we're going to talk about interacting with them so ones have trouble owning their anger so if you see one ranting about something that seems minor to you that's probably not what they're actually angry about it was just sort of the last thing because they tend to hold it in And then whatever the thing that just tips them over, because they don't want to express their anger. They're very good at internalizing it, 
but not very good at expressing frustration and anger. Well, like when we internalize our anger, it's on a gradient. When we express it, it's in a phase change. Yeah. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> and as long as you know that, then it's like, okay, something tipped the scales over and it's probably not what they're actually talking about. Because whatever yeah. that is, is something they don't talk about and they let it build up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to work well with a one, you have to take them seriously, including the principles that motivate them. So if you're flippant about things like morality and justice or just like doing things correctly and professionally, this makes ones distrust you at best. And it's going to build resentment over time, even if you do everything else right. Yeah, that sort of kind of started happening towards the end of our college career. Yep. Sure did. Because you finished up a semester before I did. And my focus was on like my honors thesis and like all the upper division classes I was taking because I was trying to graduate in a certain amount of time. And so other things that were important to you that were just like like sleep. Yeah. I'm like, I just don't care about that, you know? (laughs) Or like a clean apartment. That was one of the biggest things we had not argued that much about before then, but like cleanliness was just not a priority to me at the time. That's and, one way to put it. <laughs> well, I remember you getting upset because I'd put dishes in the sink. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you what put me over the edge. That's what put me over the edge. But what did it before was when I opened the pantry door and it looked like Moses had given somebody an ultimatum. Like I just got hit in the face with flies. <laughs> <laughs> I probably forgot to throw something away. It's a bag or, of potatoes. Oh yeah, yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was one of those mesh bags anyway that was fairly liquefied root vegetable of some sort. Uh, it was probably potatoes. I probably made potatoes. Yeah, well you didn't yeah, because even then you didn't even eat a lot of onions. So yeah. anyway. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was probably potatoes because I'd made I bet I'd made potato soup. And had forgotten that I'd had potatoes in there for like months. Because <laughs> potatoes don't go bad very fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when in conflict with the one, probably the first thing you should do is admit your own mistakes and shortcomings. They're going to know about them anyway, but acknowledging them will help keep the resentment from bubbling up. That is something that took me a long time to realize about Will. Because I see it. Just because I don't mention it. And if you don't mention it, I still know it's there and it's going to tick me off. Yeah. 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 And, you know, also the whole thing about, in addition to that, giving feedback privately. <laughs> so don't make them, you know, don't make other people notice their mistakes as as well. After a conflict, be sure and give the one some time to reflect on the situation as well. Alone probably, or, you know, definitely if needed, uh, don't follow them around trying to resolve the situation immediately because you've got to kind of let the inner monologue work through everything. Otherwise it's just going to be like, why won't they leave me alone? And, you know, they're probably already pretty close to the edge anyway, and you're just going to ride them right over it. <laughs> yeah. It took me a while to realize that about you guys too. Cause I want resolution like right away. I appreciate you mentioning that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You you and my mom both. uh, I don't remember this, but my mom told me this story. Uh, Apparently, when I had started grad school, I had not moved to Murfreesboro yet. And I'd come down and 
decided to stay the night with some friends and like I left my phone in the car because you know back then we didn't have smartphones and uh yeah my mom came down and like went around all my friends houses and stuff and finally found me and yeah was very very upset about it but refused to talk about it because she knew it would torture me Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah so speaking of torture, <laughs> let's talk about working with ones. Ones care about details a lot. You want them in roles where attention to detail actually helps. They are a waste in situations where doing things in a quick and dirty fashion is desired because they'll drive you crazy and slow the team down with their focus on perfection. Um, and I can tell you this from having worked in a pet shop in high school where everybody else was spot mopping the dirty spots. And I was like, it was bad. Mm-hmm. Programming roles are especially good for ones, provided that you can rein in their perfectionism to a level that is appropriate to your team. That perfectionism will keep them from pushing things out until they get it just right, and they they need to know where that just right is. Where is that expectation? And ones do struggle a lot with imposter syndrome, so it's important not to add inappropriate criticism to their plate because they kind of get that covered. You don't have to do that. Yeah, so what Will's saying is don't criticize him. He really hates that. Um, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's he's deflecting right now, but really... I mean, I do think I'm in a healthier place, you know? Like, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really fly all over me as much. Uh, you know, now I may turn right around and go, well, you're... <laughs> yeah, well, he will do that, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, watch out for procrastination. Because ones are perfectionists, they'll often delay starting something if they don't think they can do it just right. Um, and this hits you on when, if you're trying to start a business or something too. Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's why I said it. Ones generally don't like change and really, really resent interruptions. Um, in tech, this is an issue since both things are endemic diseases of this industry. Ones also tend to generalize problems to a larger scale that is entirely reasonable. Hence the last sentence. <laughs> yeah. So friendships with perfectionists. Ones have considerable difficulty when it comes to making themselves vulnerable, which is required for close friendships and intimate relationships. In a way, they tend to use their perfectionism as sort of a mechanism to keep from getting hurt. Yeah, it's it's your personal blast door. Yeah. Uh, And you don't get hurt as long as it's closed. Ones are also very sparing in verbalizing praise or appreciation. So if you expect these things, you're probably going to have a bad time. Tell me about it as, as a two whose love language is words of affirmation, having a mother who is a one. (laughs) I can see that would probably be a problem. Amazing. I don't have more issues than I already have. (laughs) Well, you still have time. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's me bringing the positivity here. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Ones tend to show our appreciation by being responsible and doing what's expected of us. So like cooking for a spouse instead of telling them you love them or that they look pretty today. Right? Like no. It's just you do stuff. Yeah, I do like hearing I look pretty today. It makes me feel good about myself on the inside. Um, sorry, I couldn't help that. That was just too funny. <laughs> Guys, You're like a discount Fabio. Is that, is that okay? That works for me. <laughs> that works for me. I'll, t- I'll take discountfabio.com. Buy that domain, sell it to Beach. Actually, I would I would prefer <laughs> Jason Momoa. 
discount Jason Momoa? No. That's no, come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Everything's a dollar, Jason Momoa? I can't, I can't, I can't believe it's not better. Um, <laughs> so going back to the ones. <laughs> so above all else, when you're interacting with the one, be true to your word. Don't blow off your obligations to them to go have fun. That's very important. Um, if you have an obligation, no, no. yeah, <laughs> that will make them resent you. Remember, they pay attention to detail and highly prioritize doing the things they're supposed to do and doing them the right way. If they see you throwing their sacrifice away, it's going to cause a problem. Their big thing is doing things like if they say they're going to be there, they're going to be there. So if you tell a one, hey, I'm going, I'll meet you at this place. You meet them at that place, you know, because right. otherwise, like they're, they're not the, oh, I'll text them and go, hey, this other thing came up because I have friends who do that. And as a two, I'm like, all right, cool. Have fun. I'm going to go do this other thing. But a one, like, I'm not inviting that dude anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Literally a one because is like a slap in the face. Yeah, it is for a one because they set aside the time to come and be social with you. And that's what they're doing during that time. And now they're like, all right, what do I do? Also, it's very important to appreciate what the one does for you. This would imply thanking them for it and telling them why it helped. That's the key, is telling them why it helped. What I've learned with Will is if he does something or if I want him to do something in an outline or something that makes just makes the process easier, I have to tell him, hey, doing it this way really helps me. And then he'll do it. If I tell him, hey, you did a good job doing it this way, he won't do it again. And that's right. a one thing. I've seen that in other ones too. So finally, relationships with perfectionists. Yeah, so the obvious thing is, is that nobody is perfect in a relationship. And you know this intersects badly with the type one, especially when they're unhealthy and you will be at some point mm-hmm. because you have high standards that can often mean that there's not a whole lot of people that are good enough for them. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, there's a girl that I could have dated in college, for instance, that could not pronounce the word facade to save her life. And that was just like, that put me in, that was straight up into no footing right there. Mm -hmm. That a few other things, but that was a big one. When they do get into relationships, they are committed, loving partners, but they have a lot of trouble expressing how they actually feel. A lot of times they feel that being too emotional or expressing it too much is a sign of weakness. And this can lead to romantic partners feeling unloved and unappreciated. Ones are also not particularly passionate people and are often seen as cold from the outside, at least. They tend to not be outwardly sensual or romantic either, preferring to show their love in smaller, more subtle ways. Ones may also feel that they aren't very good at relationships, that kind of inner critic thing. And they may hold small things against themselves that you've already forgotten. It's important to show them that they don't have to be perfect and that they can still be loved even if they aren't. So guys, one's bringing attention to detail and a desire to make the world better that can actually make things better. They apply their high standards to both themselves and others and can often inspire the people around them to greater things. However, because the world is not a perfect place and never will be, this tendency can make them resentful of any imperfections they notice, whether those are within themselves or within others. If you're a one, remember that no one is perfect and no one has to be perfect. This includes you. The world is exactly how it has to be. 
Friends of ones can help them by being reliable, showing them that they're useful, by being understanding that imperfections in the world bother them more than other people, and by understanding that they can't really express how much it does so. That pretty much wraps us up. Beach, what do you have this week for us for Tricks of the Trade? You don't have to be a one to be a perfectionist. While they do tend toward perfectionism more than other types, we all have areas in which we can be a little overconsumed in the area of getting something just right. While it's always good to strive to do your best, you'll also need to know that everything doesn't have to be exactly perfect. This is especially the case when you're learning something. We don't see all the paintings that Van Gogh threw away or the hundreds of hours Slash spent practicing his guitar and messing up. What we see is a result of all that work. Sometimes we can get this idea that if we don't do it perfect the first time, then it's not worth doing. Or if we mess up something that we need to just throw the whole thing away. Don't stop because you aren't perfect. Instead, use that lack of perfection to galvanize you to keep going and getting better. That's pretty much all I've got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash complete developer podcast you'll get extras including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons you can also follow us on twitter at complete dev pod like our page on facebook and follow us on instagram to keep up with news about the show join the conversation anytime via slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com thanks for listening see you next time